Hi, my name is Tonje Bakay. I'm an entrepreneur and also the chief brand officer at the African Leadership Academy for the Handicap Prize. And what's the Handicap Prize? It's the biggest competition for very young entrepreneurs on the continent. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Tonje. Hi, um, I'm happy to be here, exciting to share some tips and, and my expertise. So <laughs> We're glad to take it. And uh, I'm not on the mic alone. I have uh, with me my colleague and, of course, Head of Growth at African Tech Roundup, Tayo Akinyemi. What's up? Hello, hello. <laughs> First time on the mic? First ever time on the mic. I'm excited. Awesome. And, I, and um, uh, Tayo, the reason you're here is in part because you sat in on the session Tanya was uh, a part of. He was invited to be a panelist um, as a tech leader at uh, Afrobytes 2018. Now, I'm told... I have to correct. I was a uh, speaker at two panels. Oh, snap. Yeah, yeah, not just one, two. <laughs> I mustn't get it twisted. <laughs> you know, like... When you have knowledge to share, you can't just take, give it once. You have to share more. So I'm here, available for your audience. Shout out to the, to the homies at Afrobytes for realizing that there was more than just a little knowledge and insight <laughs> to milk. There was much, much to be milked and uh, I'm glad they left some for us. <laughs> yes, I still have energy. This is good. Um, uh, Ty and I are encouraged by this. So let's talk about this panel because from what I understand, you made some people rather uncomfortable. On a particular panel that was addressing the state of play in terms of startups accessing investment and there was a, an investor on, on your panel who, who felt quite uh, encouraged by what he perceives as you know progress we're making on the continent. He cited an example in South Africa. Of a, of a startup that, you know, managed to, to land local investment and then go on to land much larger investment abroad. And, and my goal was never to put him uh, on spot or to make people feel uncomfortable. My goal was just to share with the audience the context of the African continent when it comes to raising funds, uh, selling companies and having access to opportunities. And since we are mentioning the South African market, especially founders from uh, Cape Town, we were able to sell that company for about hundred millions of dollars. Uh, it was important for us to have the whole, like the full context. And when the so, what did you say in terms of that? What were you? What was? What were your views that seemed to not quite sit well? So because. This company was innovative and in education uh, in South Africa and their revenue uh, came from, most of them came from outside the continent. I was really surprised by this case study, right? And so I asked him, okay, can you tell us more about the founders? And so uh, I think he understood like what I was going after and then I had to ask, are they... Uh, black South African founders are white because in the context of South Africa, it's not the same. And because I have the chance to spend a lot of time uh, in South Africa, um, at Anzisha, we try to support uh, very young entrepreneurs. And I know that, especially when you're a black South African 
a young entrepreneur, you struggle. You struggle to 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 have the support from the bank. You struggle to have access to uh, knowledge, to have access to mentorship. So I was really surprised to hear this story from South Africa. And and then when he explained that um, the team was like only composed by uh, white South African, I was like, oh, okay, now I understand how it was possible for them to have this partnership with MIT and then to sell the company uh, at that valuation. So um, I wasn't trying to make him comfortable. I was trying to make sure that the, the, the people in the room understand the context uh, of South Africa and also the context uh, in Africa when it comes to startups. I just want to say that I actually re really appreciate the Get Smarter story. Um, I was looking for a course on AI or something like this, and a Get Smarter ad followed me, uh, Get Smarter MIT. And I actually recognized it as a South African company. I thought, wow, this is really great. But I think what's important about you making that point is that you did something that was very unique. You actually told the whole AfroStream story from top to bottom, And you share that with the ecosystem in both French and English. And I think what's so important about that and the point that you made today is that we actually need to share knowledge. We need to understand what happens and why and who's involved so that we can all move forward. So I think you pointing out things like this, you sharing your story, those types of things we need to see more of. So kudos to you for doing that. And, and so let's talk about AfroStream a little bit because, I mean, for listeners who are not familiar with the story, I mean, we've covered it quite a bit on our platform. We've written about it in our opinion editorials, not, not just because it, it kind of, you know, draws clicks and stuff, but ju also just because it was so profoundly, you know, unusual to have a fairly successful founder, poster child for success in many respects. You have this great idea. For a streaming service, you, you, you get invited to Y Combinator, which is a, a feat in itself, you know, easily one of the hardest uh, accelerator programs to get into, one of the more ex you know, exclusive um, opportunities to access like real finance, real knowledge, real access to, to the very best Silicon Valley has to offer. You go there, you leave with a, a workable sort of commercial idea, which manages to attract funding, something to the tune of $8 million altogether. Four million altogether. Look at me just adding those millions. <laughs> Maybe if you had eight million, it would be a totally different story. Would be, it wouldn't be here. <laughs> so, okay, so you get $4 million, uh, $4 million worth of funding. And based on the, the letter you wrote, the open letter you wrote to our ecosystem, totally understandable why that was nowhere near what you needed to, to take on the likes of, of Netflix and, you know, Amazon and all the rest. So, so ultimately, this fails quite royally. But What makes the headlines is this notion that a young, promising black man, you know, starts a company that takes on four million dollars of people's money and fails. And what we're going to do in the in the show notes for this particular episode, you will definitely find not just the article, our our opinion piece on the article. And I want you to explain to us all why you saw merit in setting the record straight. So I never saw merit uh, on sharing my, my story. It was so important for me to, to claim uh, my narrative and to be able to, to, to share what happened. So when I, I wrote it, it was during a weekend. Uh, it took me two days just to tell my story, make it clean. 
it, it was it was so strange because I had so many things to say. Not to say that oh I failed, but I'm still smart. Or it wasn't real failure. It was like that's the letter I would love to read before starting a company. And it's not the story of a rich boy who went to this prestigious university and had access to the, the capital. It's like the regular Mamadou, and and who had this this vision. Um, this great vision about Africa and, and people from um, the diaspora and, and someone mission driven even if you need uh, a viable uh, business model and you know when you lose or you close your, your startup people will be like oh okay this guy he had like 4 million dollars uh, he traveled the world I'm sure he spent the money like crazy and Most of the people don't understand your industry. So it was also important for me to educate people about the industry. Some of them could do better than me. Uh, I think I end the, 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 the letter saying that I did what I could. So now people can go and go like, like way faster and, and, and higher than me. And I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be proud if the letter support that. And then I was surprised by, by how people reacted to the letter. I was, I was amazed. You know, it's a very long letter. You need at least 20 minutes to go through the letter. And major investors in the state were sharing tweets about the letters. Uh, people from all over the world were sending me emails. I was sad because, you know, my baby, AfroStream, was, was, was about to die. Uh, I wrote the letter in September, but we closed shop in December. So people all, they all thought that like, when I wrote the letter, the service was uh, done. But now we had like, seed deals that we have to honor. But this letter proved that I was really committing to support young entrepreneurs. I was really committed to support uh, um, the tech community. And my goal was to, tell, uh, to create new role models. Uh, I'm all about storytelling. So... When you think about it, it's not a surprise that even when I'm failing with my company, I'm able to tell a compelling story that will inspire others. Were you embarrassed? No, you know, like I, I'm the, the funny thing with me, I guess, is that I'm very comfortable with who I am. I don't try to be someone else and to have like, I don't know, I don't care about cars, uh, watches, I don't care about lux uh, luxury, I don't care about those things, I don't, I, I'm not afraid to, to show vulnerability, I'm, I'm, I'm myself. Uh, you know, like some people, when they grew up, they had this role model, like the, the classic businessman with the, the suits and stuff, and, and the goal is to have the private jet at 25, I'm, I'm like, no, that's not what I care about. I care about being true to myself. Um, it's so hard to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and even if sometimes it was very difficult, like for, for many reasons, I was always aligned with myself. So sometimes you see like entrepreneurs, uh, women or, or, or men, young or old, We are playing a role. We are, we are acting like someone. But at night, we are crying in their room. Because, of, you know, like some of them are, are 
in depression and stuff. So the only way to protect myself over the years was to be at least myself. It occurs to me that this might have been good for you on some level. Like, what, what would you say have been some of the more surprising, positive outcomes? Has this been good for your career? Will this help you raise money more easily for your next project? The letter itself showed how hard it was to create the company. So people knew me, but we didn't know like what actually was my, <laughs> my day-to-day job, you know? And so we realized that I was able to close deals with uh, major corporations. I was able to raise money. I was able to manage uh, um, like a team of, of uh, tech developers. I was able to uh, manage marketing, everything. So, so people realized, like, oh, we thought that AfroStream was a team of, of 70 people. It was just like, five people. Um, so I think that that point, yes, opens a lot of opportunities for, for myself. But the people who knew me already, like my investors, and they knew those things. I think the, 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 the benefit of this letter is this relief I had when I, I, I wrote the letter. You just you feel like, ah, you should, like now, now the story is out, you know? People, people now they know, and you're able to reflect on your own story because when I wrote this letter, I was able to, to see my own mistakes. You know, you're like, ah, Tanje, this time uh, it wasn't the right move. The company received $4 million in investment. And this distinction is very important. I didn't receive like $4 million. The company received $4 million. So I'm not rich because I raised $4 million. So the company and I is two different uh, entities. It's very important for people to, to, to understand. And then what happened with those $4 million? Yes, we, we built a business. We bought some content. We had some revenue and stuff. But during two years, thousands of people had the access to their culture, their contents. The, the service improved the, their, their confidence in themselves. AfroStream as a company, uh, think about it. The company was very small, but, but uh, uh, the notoriety was, was, was huge. And I think uh, it, it had an impact uh, on, 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 on young uh, African leaders. Even if I'm very sad that the, the, we are not able to, to make a profit and our investors were not able to, to, to have their money back. Like four millions to, to do all that, it's pretty impressive, right? Pretty much. And I mean, I, I have a question though. You know, you know to push, almost kind of push back, play devil's, devil's advocate to a point you made earlier, you know, about privilege and the oversimplification around the narrative about you know, who gets money and why, you know, and, and the role of sort of race and other bias points. Um, you, you got to go to Y Combinator, you know, and for a lot of people, they're like, well, you had it made. You had everything you could possibly need to make a success of a good idea, and it didn't work. And, and so I suppose there's different ways to look at that. It's sort of like, that's weird. Why... why why wouldn't it work? That's the one. And then the, the other side that you could look at the same thing is basically, well, there's privilege at play in your own life uh, because the average sort of kid from a no-name brand university somewhere in, you know, in Liberia is not getting into Y Combinator. I'm sure these are things that sort of came into your, into your sphere. Or not. Maybe people didn't have the guts to say it. <laughs> no, no, not really. Because I, I think that first people understand that 
in order to get into YC Combinator, you compete with at least 10,000 people. So it's not like I knew the guys, you know, like I applied and then I competed with them and I was able to go there. The funny thing is, uh, when I went there, I was out of cash because like the year before, the two years before, I was funding AfroStream with my own revenues, you know? So, so, so uh, the day I went to Silicon Valley to attend YC, my credit card like stayed in the ATM. And YC is not based on uh, your diplomas or anything, your school. It's just based on the idea. And you can, you can apply from anywhere in the world and actually, two years ago, uh, with some partners at YC, we went to Nigeria all together to make sure that in Lagos, in Abuja, people learn about uh, YC and try to apply. And to your second point about privileges, you know, I never went to university. After high school, I, I founded my first company and since then I've been an entrepreneur. So I don't even have the luxury to say like, oh, I went to Stanford or anything. What is surprising is at first I wasn't even in tech at all. I was just in entertainment. I went to, into tech because my goal was to scale what I did in the past, producing content and tell niche stories, right? So that my interest for tech um, just was there to support my projects. And so, yes, I was lucky enough to go into an incubator in Paris and then go to this incubator in, in the Silicon Valley, but it was always a challenge. So give me a sense of what your thesis for dealing with failure or grappling with failure or harnessing failure to, I suppose, progress, if not succeed. What's your thesis? And now you're involved at ALU, the Anzisha Prize. You're now sort of molding the minds of future failures who will later hopefully harness that failure to succeed. What's your thesis on, on doing that well or, you know, gracefully even? So I don't want to become the master of failure. Uh, What's wrong with that? Does, doesn't that statement say something about how you feel about failure? This is not how I, I, I project myself. Uh, don't wake up in the morning going, I, the man who failed. Failed 10, 10 times today, no. Um, I just feel like you have to be true to yourself. Again, you have to... I think the worst thing is when you fail something and you lie to yourself. When your company was failing and someone bought your company for one penny and you say, oh, you know, like, uh, like my company was acquired. Okay, so I've been there in, in a company I owned before. It was a situation I had to walk away from. Um, but I think I sold the world. Um, my partners bought me out. Is that, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? That, 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 that the thing, because if you lie to yourself, then it gets tricky. And you have to deal, it, you have to deal with it. Uh, it's internal. You're going to suffer. So the way I did it was public. I was surprised by the magnitude of, of the, the article. Well, it kind, we kind of did our bit, I have to be honest. <laughs> I, was, I was surprised. You know, I'm this young guy from Paris. I'm not even Nigerian, not even like, uh, uh, you know, Anglophone. And it became this massive thing. But the only thing I can recommend to people is just like, you have to face the reality. And 
there's one thing very important in my case. I don't know if I have to recommend it to people, but in my case is whatever will be my next move, I would do it for myself. Not to prove something to the industry or to the continent or to become a, a better role model. I would do it because it would be important for me. Maybe I, I, will, I will detect a business opportunity. But man, life is short. If like, I spend my life trying to be on, on, on TV, on podcasts, shine, this is not why I became an entrepreneur. I think the other day I was saying that I never tried to become famous. I don't know if, even if I'm famous. I try to build projects. Sometimes those projects are popular, sometimes they are not popular, sometimes they will attract uh, the media attention, sometimes not. But that's not what defines me. What defines me is to have uh, this vision and try to, to, to get close to that vision. I think part of what was interesting about your letter, I know you said that you're not a role model and that you're trying to be true to yourself, but I think when you see examples of people being true to themselves, they um, empower, that's kind of a funky word, but they empower others to also be true to themselves. And I think there's so much noise in the ecosystem around entrepreneurship and it's, it's exciting and you get attention and all of that. So I think um, the way that you approach it and sharing what's real, you actually help uh, to educate uh, young entrepreneurs to know what's actually happening, what they're actually up against, which actually helps them to prepare and to be more, more competitive. So I think whether or not you choose to be a role model, anytime that you're, you're leading with, with truth and helping to educate other people, that I would like to believe there's a benefit there. Is that something that burdens you on some level? Or is that a, is that a yoke you'd prefer to shake if you could? I mean, this notion, does it, does it put pressure on you to sort of constantly psychoanalyze your, your motives for maybe wanting to try something new or analyze an opportunity, perhaps to co-found something or to be involved with an organization? So it's a good question. Um... I want to be free. Uh, I'm this crazy guy who one day will be in a suit and another day I'll be in Rio for the carnival and act crazy. Uh, same with my uh, interest in business. So I don't want to be the guy who's doing things just to look good based on, you know, like this, this, this media strategy. No. So, so uh, what I say is that if some people see me as a role model, they have to be ready to, at one point, be disappointed by me because I would do something that they don't like. I'm a person and I will remain myself. And so, look, as, as a sort of uh, cap on this part of the, the conversation, I've often thought, even as I wrote about you, right, hadn't met you, opted not to reach out to you, um, didn't know that I had the right amount of empathy to, like, to do it right, you know, to basically be on the phone with you long distance and basically take advantage of this very public thing that we were all talking about and was adding to our gym. So I, I chose to, to write with the information I had. Unfortunately for me, there's a lot on you um, out there and, I, you know, and make, you know, certain suppositions or, you know, assumptions. But I've often thought, even as that, and I did that, what were the two weeks after you shut down? Like, 
maybe the first day and then the, the first two weeks after you actually physically didn't have an office anymore, clients anymore, customers anymore, you know, partners anymore. Like, what was that day, that first two weeks like? So it wasn't that brutal. The thing is, I spent months traveling the world to find a buyer. So first, it wasn't my baby anymore. I wasn't able to project myself in the future of the company because I was looking for an acquisition, right? And then we were already working kind of remotely. So not having an office wasn't my main concern. My main concern was the fact that this mission was so important for me that realizing that AfroStream had no immediate future was painful for me. My biggest surprise was the fact that some companies were already chasing me and offering me uh, job opportunities. The issue for me was the fact that even if it was hard, I was in love with my life for the past four years. And man, sometimes it was very hard. But you know when you live every day, every month, 100%. When you truly alive, that was my life for the past four years. The crazy thing is I, I thought that after AfroStream shut it down, I would spend more time in one country, be able to reconnect with my family, my friends, because during four years I was like always in the plane. So AfroStream stopped in December. I wrote the letter in September, but like the service was down in December. Since then, I traveled more than like last year. Wow, to like clear your head? No, because I, like this new position from being the head of entrepreneurship at LU and then the chief brand officer for the Anzisha Prize and traveling across the continent uh, to meet young entrepreneurs, to better understand different ecosystems, made me travel even more. So I never had this phase. This awkward gap. Yeah, this thing where you have the time to go and to buy your bread and then you watch TV during the day. No, I never you're watching it on your on your competitor's service. Yeah, no, I never had I, ne I never had that and, and the funny thing is yesterday I was complaining um, to my family. I was like, I travel a lot. I don't feel like I had time to rest. And you know I have ideas uh, for the future, uh, the funny thing is I kept the same email address. So I have so many email addresses, but I still have the, the Tanjay backing at afrostream.tv. Now you know my email address. And so, and Q, thousands of emails coming at you after this interview. But I still have the same uh, email address. So there's still opportunities coming. People are like, oh, Tanjay, uh, we would love to... I produce this show in, in that particular country in Africa. I know you don't have AfroStream anymore, but are you interested in producing the content? Or Tanje, uh, we love what you did uh, in the media space in Africa, but we have this uh, opportunity in Asia you to be involved in those things. So, so it's exciting. Wow. So it's left you, left you in an interesting position. I suppose maybe it's also a statement of our times and where we're at, maybe even as a, um, where we're at as, a, as an ecosystem and all that kind of thing, that things worked out the way they did for you. And that perhaps this letter written five, ten years ago 
might have had an entirely different result. Who knows? But I, I, I suppose, you know, now looking forward, I mean, you've, you've already sort of preempted some of the questions I had about what life after death, <laughs> life after the, you know, the demise of, 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 your, of your dream looks like. But I mean, what have you found most useful in your old world? This four years of bitter bliss, painful pleasure uh, as you run this company. What, have you, what are you finding most useful from that time for your current gig? So... First of all, just to give more context, Afrosim was not my first company. And even if I, I look young, I'm 37 years old now. I'm a solid man. Uh, and so I'm able to reinvent myself. I did it in the past. And so I've been able to reinvent myself so many times. And every time, you know, like I went back on the, the horse, I was able to do even a better job. Maybe give us a, a, a sense, because for many of us um, who only like started to care about you when you failed, like what was, give us a sense of like what came before and uh, what led to 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 Afrostream. So at the age of uh, eighteen, I created an uh, events company. At the age of twenty, I was producing uh, music videos uh, for most of the major hip hop artists uh, in France. At the age of twenty four. I imported stand-up comedy for the first time in France and I produced a show, uh, a live show which became a TV show. Uh, then I um, uh, co-owned a theater in Paris and I was f uh, producing plays and then Afrostream. Okay, so it didn't just happen, <laughs> it's fair to say. <laughs> no, this is my life. So, so like, uh, I knew content, uh, I, I truly care about our stories. Um, and I dedicated my life uh, to it. It doesn't mean that I'm not able to do something different. The only new thing for me was um, discovering the, 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 the startup ecosystem. Otherwise, creating value, growing businesses. It's always been there for you. Always. I'd be stoked to be like 14, 15, 16 and get like someone like you as a mentor. You know, what I suppose LU has got much, well, I suppose 16... 17, 18, slightly older. Like between the African Leadership Academy and LU and NZSHA, you have, yes, from 15 to 24 years old. I guess what I'm saying is like you'd be my dream mentor, like coming up in my school system. I mean, most of the mentors I had were professional types. And what, what are some of the best questions these kids are asking you? Are they aware of what led you there? Do they care? Are they jaded? <laughs> so usually what I do... I send them the letter I wrote, like that they know where I am. Then, you know, I'm the one asking a lot of questions first because I need to understand the business. I need to understand that context. I'm never the one coming in a room trying to throw at them, like, advices. And trying, to be good, trying to be the guru. No, not at all, not at all. I, I, actually, I'm, 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 it would sound selfish, but I want to learn their business. I want to understand the, the industry. If you're doing agriculture in, in uh, Ghana, I want to know. I want to know what it is. And so I ask a lot of questions. And then, because I shared the letter, because I, I, I tell them that I'm not there uh, just, for, just to hear that everything is perfect, we're doing good, because sometimes as an entrepreneur, you want to look good. And because I'm, I'm, uh, 
uh, the chief brand officer of Anzisha, you know, they feel like we want to look good and create this relationship with me. And I'm like, guys, I know what it is. I'm here to support you. Don't try to impress me. Just tell me what's going on and how I can support you. So uh, we can talk about co-founders' issues. I can talk about, you know, management. We can talk about fundraising. We can, we can talk a lot, of, a lot of things. But please, for the two days that I will spend with you or the, the, the hour I will spend with you, consider, consider me as a friend, like a friend, and just be honest. But what we share here will stay here. Unfortunately, my time is limited. Traveling is not easy. Trying to have a social life is not easy. And at one point, I will launch another business. What I want to do to be able to, to support them. And, you know, it's not just about African entrepreneurs because what I do on the continent, I, also doing, I do it also in Europe. I'm also uh, a part-time partner at The Family, which is like uh, one of the biggest uh, support system for tech companies in Europe with um, offices in Paris, Berlin, and London. So basically, this expertise as a mentor um for me it, it's it's something that i try to provide globally uh but moving forward what i want is to be able to attract potential mentors so when i travel when i'm at conferences i try to connect with potential mentors and then create this great network because at one point i will leave uh the education system but i want to make sure that uh they take advantage of my network are you going to take a second bite of that cherry, the, the, the streaming cherry? I don't know if it will be um, distribution, because when we talk about streaming service, is the way we distribute the content. It could be maybe more, be more involved in the content creation, so what I did in the past. It could be also tools to improve the distribution and support businesses that try to distribute content or other form of, uh, you know, like uh, stories. So I want to be creative and also I need to see opportunities. So I'm totally open. I have um, really one last question, which is um, there might be a question you wish you'd been asked about this entire thing that you've been through in the last couple of years, everything you've learned and it's a question you wish more people would ask but never do. What would that question be? And I'm happy to ask and have you answer it. <laughs> so maybe the question could be around how was the ball as a Parisian, non-anglophone immigrant from Cameroon? How was the ball to build this network in, in the Silicon Valley and then in Hollywood and then be not well known but you know like known in Nigeria okay so how does a, <laughs> a Parisian immigrant from Cameroon with no connections no university and a non-anglophone background end up with a business that has like global relevance to a pan-african audience how does that become a thing Every time I, I met someone and I was uh, traveling a lot and investing my own money at first travel to make sure that I was at the right conference and stuff, I was sharing 
a true and compelling story. I remember the first time I met uh, uh, Jason, the, the founder of, of Iroko. I was speaking in this little room where in Cannes, and the first thing I did is to go and talk to him and say, I'm a big fan, I'm trying to do something slightly different, but I'm a big fan. And I was impressed because even before we met, people tr they tried to create competition between us. And I think he saw in my eyes and I saw in his eyes that we were smarter than that. It was a, more about two people trying to do something good for African storytellers. You know, like... We had uh, an immediate connection and, and in many cases uh, we were able to, to have this constant dialogue uh, through WhatsApp and every time it was in Paris and, or me in, in, in London or New York, we were together and, and we created a friendship. So this being true was the thing attracting people to me. If you try to fake something you're not, if you try to sort of shake the francophoneness, if you try to be less Parisian, if you're sort of try to be more posh if you try to play expat and not immigrant if you try to do all of these things it, it would have basically worked against everything you were trying to build exactly and, and the fact that I was so different on the market people were excited about it so when I went to, to Hollywood because on AfroStream we had African content but also African American content so when I was in Hollywood and I was talking about the mission the vision uh, 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 people in Hollywood were super excited independent Uh, black producers were exciting. Uh, Funny because you say that because uh, twice in this interview I've thought, I wonder if he's met Spike Lee. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I met him. Wow, okay. So you've met Spike Lee. Because I keep thinking a lot of what you're saying like, is part of the rhetoric I've heard him, heard him say. Like, oh my word, you met him. In what context? The, the first time was when I, I started AfroStream and my goal was to connect with the black leaders. Uh, in the States because most of them complain because they don't have the full support of major Hollywood studios when it comes to investing in their projects. What people say is that black movies don't travel so there's no opportunity in Europe, in Africa and I was saying the total opposite. So I was saying that guys, there's a big African diaspora in Europe. People in Africa could be interested also by uh, some of your content. So let's build Uh, a, a, a distribution network. Uh, so I met many of them. Like one of the investors uh, in AfroStream is Charles King. Uh, he owns Macro Venture, and, and this guy, the, this this talented man, was the 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 talent agent of like most of the biggest black actor and actress uh, uh, in Hollywood. So, like, we were able to unlock a lot of those. Yeah, sorry, I just digressed. That has nothing to do with the initial question. But yeah, I don't know. I just kept hearing Spike Lee, as you said, some of these things. But um, your point is well taken and you can, you're welcome to finish it off. This idea that staying true to who you were, as non-ideal as your circumstance, your background, you know, everything that sort of made, makes you you, in entrepreneurial terms, certainly in spite of all that, that turns out to be the one thing that's actually opening doors in a, in a strange kind of way. Yes, and you go so fast when you're true to yourself and you're unique on the market. People can actually see you and, and remember your name and, and stuff. Uh, I would love to end with a question to you guys. Now that you spent some time with me, uh, we met yesterday, we are here together today. 
and you you read uh, a bit about me in the past. What is the main difference between the image you had and the man you see today? Tayo's off giggling in the, in, to the side here. Oh, my word. Tayo, do you want to go first? To be honest, for me, I don't see a difference. I mean, I've never met you, but the person who wrote that letter and the person who expressed what you've expressed in terms of being true to yourself, you can see the correlation there. Um, it's hard for me to imagine someone who wasn't true to himself or herself uh, taking that step to, to um, embrace that level of vulnerability because if you are pretending it becomes difficult to want to share that story because you've spent a lot of time projecting some type of image and telling some type of story and positioning yourself in a certain way as hard as it was for you I can imagine it was it would be even harder for someone who spent put a lot of energy and investment into projecting something So as much as it is much more enriching to meet you and to hear your story in detail, I think the letter was a very strong leading indicator, at least for me. So you, you know what I was doing while you were speaking, Tayo, is uh, I actually just brought up the, the business report article I wrote on you. <laughs> so it happens to be, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was, it's actually syndicated, it, it basically published in what's the, the biggest business daily in in South Africa, Business Report, and yeah, on the biggest circulation day of Friday. So yeah, and I, I'm you know skimming through some of the things I said, and I'm realizing that I think I was a tad cynical about your motives for sharing the in, in as much as I was really celebratory and really excited you did, and I thought overall it was great for the ecosystem. Um, I think I was quite ready to assume that You know what I mean? You'd made a calculated plan about how this would be really good for you and your career and how you were just surfing the, the whole wave in Silicon Valley of failure as this sort of badge of honor. And yeah, there was a side of me that just felt, well, am I being gamed? Does he have a PR company like advising him on his next steps? Does he have a, a gig lined up next? And they've sort of suggested that he... He wrapped this up neatly and let people know what happened so that they can trust him going forward. And so there's a side of me that was really ready to be like, well, psh, dude knows what he's doing here. Smart move. Well, it just happens to serve us all anyway, so let me celebrate this, you know? And then now in meeting you, firstly, yeah, I'm slightly embarrassed that <laughs> I had that much cynicism just ready to bubble up to the surface, number one. Number two, um, I'm actually quite surprised at the choices you've made post this thing. I think there were a lot more money choices you could have made and you chose not to for whatever reason. To me, and now I realize that speaks to your character and everything I'm now learning about you. And yeah, I just feel, I'm just relieved, frankly, that you've, you, so you've become a historical figure for our ecosystem. And I know this is not something you went out trying to do or, or something you readily embrace, but I feel really glad I can comfortably stand up on a stage whenever I'm invited to speak and reference you and go, I know that dude. You know what I mean? And... And yeah, I, I highly recommend you read him and you pattern your sense of humility, your sense of balance in the way you think of business and what you can learn from, from failure and how you can approach life in general. I'm happy to say that you're someone I can reference quite confidently after you know, the two days I've, you know, I've interacted with you. So that's a really long answer. 
and I think a part apology, because <laughs> what I've written is set in stone uh, <laughs> or is digitally immortalized. Um, but yeah, that's, that's truly how I feel. I appreciate it. Uh, it's really important for me to, to hear what you just said. And I think that, yeah, I just appreciate and the, the fact that you said that next time uh, you would reach out to the founder or try to reach out to him. And you know, that's interesting because you're right. I didn't reach out. And it's funny because I thought I was doing the right thing. By the, I suppose it's somewhat journalistically lazy. So, well, I mean, not journalistically lazy because it's, so I don't want to suggest that it was journalistically inappropriate. But I, f I felt like it would be the wrong thing. I thought I was being predatory. I didn't want to meet you for the first time on, on Skype going, hey, dude, so... You, you failed. <laughs> you failed. So now you can talk. I was waiting for failure. So no, no, no. I had your number like years ago. When you raised the money, I was like, not, not now. Like, <laughs> let's wait for him to fall. <laughs> <laughs> But no, like, I mean, you, you, like, um, you don't have to apologize or anything. I, I, I don't think that it was wrong. I just feel like it's great to connect with um, the, the founder. It's just to at least hear from him. It doesn't mean that you have to publish what you, you heard. But, um, you know, I don't try to be the good guy or the right guy. Really, like, I, don't, I do not care. Like, uh, but it's important for you to understand that, in my case, we never had, never, ever had a PR agency. Never. So we had a lot of like press coverage because like most of the time the journalists they were interested by our story. I think the, 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 the Medium post became one of the top 20 uh, posts, the most popular on Medium uh, because the story was maybe interesting. Not because, you know, I was connected to maybe the CEO or anything. Uh, uh, the funny thing is, apparently the CEO of Medium sent the article to some of his friends because he thought that it was like it was interesting, and this letter became it became huge. Sometimes things happen by accident. Some people will say it's for a reason, but uh, I never like it would be impossible for me to imagine the impact of this letter. Impossible, and, and, and in. in For me, in an uh, ideal world, Afroswim would still be up and running and I'd be doing great things. So You would have no time to speak to us. <laughs> I will always have time to share my story. You know, Afroswim was a story. I'm a content creator. And I think even if it's sad, Afroswim is a story that hopefully will inspire people. And at one point, someone would crack this thing around premium content in Africa and someone will try to create like us a bridge between Africa and the diaspora and and I'd, when it will come when this day will come let's forget about Afrostream but till then let's build on it yeah it's great to have this story and inspire people That's incredible. So, in the, I mean in the same breath um, this article I wrote uh, referenced Damilola Tedi Uh, who founded the Nigerian ride-sharing platform. And he has not to apologize to her, too. <laughs> so I'm going to take this opportunity. Oh, yeah, she, she, ride-sharing platform, Go My Way, which unfortunately went the way of, uh, of AfroStream to its demise. And um, yes, to you too, Damilola, one day I will meet you. And uh, until I get to see you face-to-face, -face, and hopefully you agree to have me 
uh, you know, share your story with the rest of the world. Until then, I will reserve some of my comments and perhaps even state quite fairly that um, I, I might have made assumptions about you two that you know, weren't entirely fixed. <laughs> okay, that's, that's okay with, uh, with uh, Tonya Bakang. Tonya Bakang, uh, we thank you, African Tech Roundup. I think the, the entire village... Thanks, you, un- you have done us proud and, and it's been a real treat to have come to know you personally. And thank you for being on the show, man. It's a pleasure. Please, if you're a very young entrepreneur on t- under 22, apply to the Andisha Prize. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to have access to fundings, mentoring, education, and a great network of entrepreneurs. If Musa Kalengo was here, he'd co-sign because he's a huge fan of the Enzisha Prize. It has to be one of his most his favorite competitions. He thinks competitions suck, but he loves the Enzisha Prize. So if he was here, he'd, there'd be an ad at the end. Just Musa, just waxing lyrical. <laughs> so shout out to you, Musa. Um, but yeah, we'll link the um, Enzisha Prize, uh, you know, the, their webpage in in our in the show notes. So be sure to take uh, Bakang up on that offer, young people. Thanks again, man. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. <laughs>